How many's glad to be here? How many enjoying the little cooler weather this morning? I usually go sit on the back porch and drink coffee. I decided to stay in the house this morning. It felt good though, didn't it? Today I uh I tell you what, just just be seated a second. Uh Tommy and Dina, they like freaking out now. <laughs> Would you guys just stand? We dedicated their son uh, two or three weeks ago. Is it uh, Wyatt? Wyatt. Um, and uh, th that morning when I was praying about the baby dedication and thinking about you know this you know what we were going to do and so forth. Uh, I felt like I heard something I probably should have told you when we were dedicating him, but, you know, sometimes I don't always uh, do it when I'm probably I should do it. But it still is valid. He's looking. Hallelujah. He's hearing. Hallelujah. But I just heard these words, and, and honest to God, I'd never heard them put together before in my life that I know of. But I heard uh, prophetic inventor, prophetic inventor. And I felt like that as he grows and matures, he's going to be a kid that's going to take a lot of stuff apart. So be patient. He's going to take it apart, and then he'll, he may or may not put it back together. But he's, he's going to have a, a heart to see how things work. And I felt like he's going to be so gifted in the ability to recognize how that prophetic inventions from the Lord that God's going to give him has the capacity to bring people together. He's going to have an amazing imagination that's going to challenge you at times. Uh, but you're going to begin to see this, I believe, uh, and I've just thought about it. I just couldn't get away from it. I actually sat down the other day when I was it was on me again, like God's like I should have said it when he was dedicated. But whether I say it or not, it's still valid. It's still good because that's what God's uh, gifted all of us with gifts. But I just saw that in him, and he's going to, I've never seen those words put together, but he's going to recognize the, the ability to see how technology can bring people together, and I'm just, I can't wait to see what this, what this kid does as he grows in the grace of God and the Lord. Amen. So I bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, God's got dreams for all of us. We're all gifted of the Lord, and because they are gifts, you didn't pray to earn them, and you didn't. You can't mess up and unearn them. A gift is a gift. You realize that? The Bible speaks of gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they are, in fact, gifts. And, uh, you know, when, a lot of times I don't think we understand that, but those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible, that's in 1 Corinthians 12, and then it talks about nine of them there. And we still believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation through the body of Christ, right? And then in Ephesians 4, he talks about what we call ascension gifts. The reason we call them that is because when, before Christ ascended, he descended. But he, when he ascended, it says he gave gifts unto men. And he called some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And uh, nobody's all of that. There was only one person that was all of those five. We call it the fivefold gift uh, ministry gifts, and that was Jesus himself, because he was the apostle, he was the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. I remember years ago, uh, 
Peter Wagner had a conference somewhere, and I and he said this guy came to the conference and he had on a had a cape on, and you know, and I'm good with capes. Superman wears one, so but so does Dracula. So I don't know, <coughs> but but this guy had a cape on, and they said on the back of the cape he had the words, and he had the the letter of each word capitalized real big, and he had apostle, prophet. An evangelist wrote on the back of his cape, and he had the, the big word, you know, the letters started out. So Peter Wagner said, from a distance, all you could read was ape, right? And so uh, what I'm saying, the reason I say that is nobody's all of that, no, you know, although there's some claim to be that. But the, the, the thing is that we're all uniquely gifted of the Lord, fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what Psalm says. The Bible says that before we were even here, all of our days were written down in his book before any of them came into existence. Now, that's hard for some of us to even contemplate and even harder for more to, to believe, but it's true. God has written down our days, and he has destined us for victory. And I believe probably the greatest thing that, that a person can do, particularly upon becoming a believer, is recognize and realize what really happened when they were born again and what happened uh, at the cross when Jesus paid the price but but more so what it what it what happened to us and and today it seemed like the songs were just going right along with what God the spirit of God has put upon my heart second uh, Corinthians 5:17 this is one of those verses that is so often quoted uh, by me and so familiar to most that I think we miss the punch of what this verse is really saying uh, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is. He not, not will be when he dies and gets to heaven over yonder in the glory land. He is in that moment. If he's in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, in other words, just take a look at this. All things have become new. Now, I believe probably more than any time in my life, there's an identity crisis going on in the world. And what I want to talk to you about today is your new God-given identity, your new God-given identity. And, and when I say an identity crisis, I mean, some people don't even know which bathroom to go in. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, they, it, the root cause of all of this is they don't know who they are because they don't know where they came from, right? Right? Uh, most of us grew up being taught that we came from monkeys. And so most people act accordingly. Because the enemy wants you to believe that you're just an animal. You're just another animal. You're, you know, that's what you came from. That's what you are. And, 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 and that's not who we are. And that's not where we came from. Religion then comes along. And after you get born again, most Christians are taught that, well, you're just a sinner saved by grace. And most of them follow suit with that and live like a sinner. Because there's not a whole lot of difference outwardly between a person that's born again sometimes and a person that's not born again. Because they've been taught that even though they've got born again and, and you try to explain to them how miraculous the new birth is, you're a new creation, and then you turn right around and tell them, well, you're still a sinner. So your identity didn't change. You was a sinner before. You're a sinner now. What good did it do? You know, the truth is that, that we were sinners. I said we were sinners. And, and, we were, and we were saved by grace. But now, 
that we've been born again, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we, we need to know that. And even some of the songs they sung this morning talked about our identity in Christ and where we are, and it said, I am, and, 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 and that's exactly what God's put on my heart. Now, the, 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 the main attack of the enemy upon humanity was an identity attack. In other words, if Adam and Eve had a stuck to the fact of who they were created to be by God, then Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden would have been rendered powerless. Are you with me? And so realizing that God had told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but how Satan tempted them to do that, which to disobey God, was he, he didn't challenge them with what you would think would be sin or to sin. He challenged them with their identity, and then he wanted to know what God said. In other words, he wanted to know what they thought that God said. And, and, he, would, and he questioned them, hath God said? And then he said, God has not said. And he began to question and to confuse what God had said to Adam about their identity. God created Adam in the image of God he was created. Male and female created he them. And they were created in the image and what the likeness of God. And so listen, what Satan tempted Adam and Eve to be, in other words, their sin was, this is what they want, to be like God. Satan says if you want to be like God, you got to eat of this tree. And the reason God told you not to eat of it because God's holding up something from you and if God, because God knows that in the day that you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. Well, the truth was that they were already like him. They were created in his image. They were co-laborers co with God. When God, God brought all the animals to Adam for him to name them. So Adam's co-laboring with God in creation and even of the naming of the animals. He had, a, he had a special spiritual ability to look at an animal and recognize what it was and speak that name out. Because the Bible says what he called it, that's what it was. Because he had that God-given ability. He was like God in that sense. He, you know, the Bible says that we were created a little lower. Now, the translators, and I dealt with this a few weeks ago in the Old Covenant, said we were created a little lower than the angels. But the word translated in English, angels, is the word Hebrew word Elohim, which means God. And what the Bible actually says is that we were created lower than God. Because the Bible said that, in the, that when this thing's all over, we're going to judge angels. Paul told the church at Corinth that. He said, don't you know, brothers, that you should be able to judge this matter because there's the day coming that you will judge angels. In other words, you'll decide whether angels did a good job or not. And so God would never have a lower creation judging a higher creation because he's a God of order. And we were made lower than God. We're not God, but we were, we were made in his image and in his likeness. Angels are not created in God's image and likeness, but, but, but we are. And, and so Adam and Eve were tempted to be like God. And they tried to do something to be like God, and they were already like God. Now, you look at Jesus when he got baptized by John in the River Jordan. Now, it says that John's baptism, all John did was his baptism was a baptism of repentance. But Jesus, you know, his baptism was not one of, of, of sin because he had none, right? Jesus had no sin, so Jesus' baptism had nothing to do with sin. Jesus' baptism had to do with an identity because at his baptism, remember, the heavens were torn open. 
the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form as a dove. And the voice of God the Father spoke audibly from heaven, and all those present heard it. What did he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. It was an identity baptism. It was he, he, Jesus was not a God pretending to be a man. He was the God-man. He was a man, but Jesus did not avail himself of any of his divine attributes and abilities on earth. If Jesus, everything, listen, every miracle Jesus did, every, everything that Jesus did, he did as a man, not as God. He did as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've taught you this, that until Jesus got to be 30 years old, he could not do any miracles. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't do, he didn't, couldn't do anything about leprosy, he saw. He couldn't do anything about sickness, disease. He couldn't do anything. He's a blue-collar worker. He's a carpenter in his dad's shop. And sometimes between the time that he was 12 years old, you see Jesus at a 12 years old. We don't have a lot of his, you know, of those formative years. But listen, I want to tell you something. How did Jesus know he was the son of God? I want you to think about that. How did he know? Jesus did not use anything that you and I don't have available to us. If he did, then we can no longer call him our example. We can applaud him. We can stand in awe of him. But we cannot say he's my example. I'm to be like him. If Jesus used things, if he pulled a rabbit out of the hat, if he did something that you don't have available to you, if he used a power that you don't have available to you, then we must stop calling him our example and we must forever give up any hope of being like him. But Jesus said the same things you see me do shall you do because I go unto my Father. And what, what did that mean? Because he, Jesus said, when I go to my Father, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send another who is the Holy Spirit who will be with you, and he shall be in you. And he'll lead and guide you into the truth. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hello? And so everything that Jesus did, he did as God. And so Jesus did not know everything when he walked the earth. He didn't know everything, and the Bible says he didn't. They asked Jesus, his disciples one time, they said, what, when will be the time of the end? Jesus said, I do not know. Was he lying? He said he didn't know. He said, he said, not the, he said not, only the Father knows, not even the Son knows. He said, I, I don't know. Only my Father knows. Right there is scriptural proof he did not know everything when he walked the earth because you don't know everything even though you might act like you do but you don't you know that those folks are called know-it-alls they don't know it all though the biggest thing that they don't know is that they don't know it all right Jesus got tired Jesus got weary the Bible says when Jesus, in, in, when he was 12 years old, he was found, you know, this is where they got the idea to make the Home Alone movie. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Not really, I just made that part up. But, but it is in the Bible. Well, that is the first Home Alone, okay? So Jesus' parents leave in the caravan. Obviously, they assumed he was riding with some kin folks, And then they travel for a couple of days, stop at the, you know, the rest area, and they look for Jesus and nobody has seen him. And he's 12. 
don't know if you ever lost your kid, but it's pretty freaked out kind of a feeling, okay? Uh, we lost ours one time. Why are you laughing? It wasn't nothing funny about it, girl. Uh, how old was he, My, uh, Austin? How much? Three or four years old. And we went to a family reunion kind of a deal uh, up in the mountains somewhere in North Carolina somewhere. And, uh, and anyway, so we turn around and, you know, and he's gone. And we, we, we just, with parents, we just freaked out. And I just started running from, it was like a park area, you know, when there's cottages, houses, people were staying there and all that kind of stuff. And we, and we just run from house to house and run, just just uh, just running, screaming his name, hollering for him. And, and, it, and we didn't find him, like, real quick. I mean, it wasn't days, no, it was an hour or so before we found him. And then he, he comes walking up, and he's got a, there's an older girl leading him by the hand. And that would be a prophetic sign of many. <laughs> yeah. And she had taken him, you know, to play at a, one of the cottages where her and her parents were staying. And they just went in, they were playing, and we, we, we thought we lost, lost our kids, you know. And, and, of course, we were so, you know, we just freaking out. Well, Joseph and Mary kind of felt that when Jesus, he's not there. And uh, they travel back. And they find him at the temple, the Bible says. And he's there talking with the lawyers, scribes, and, you know, he's, he's discussing things with them. And it actually said he was asking them questions. He was, he was, asking, he was questioning them. He's 12 years old, and the, it's amazing that they would even carry on a conversation with him. They had to recognize something special in him. So he's talking with them, and then so Mary comes, and she rebukes him. She says, you know, and she actually says in the Bible, look what, look at, look at your father. In other words, Joseph, now you know if you've been married whose fault it was that, that Jesus wasn't in the caravan, right? So Joseph had two days to hear that woman talk to him on the way back to the, find their boy. And she actually said, now in the Bible, Joseph is never recorded. There's not one syllable Joseph ever says is in the Bible. It's amazing. Not one thing, Joseph. We have not one, we don't have one word of Joseph that he ever said written in the Bible. Mary says, look at your father. That's how those Jewish women talk. Look at your father. Look what you did to your father. <laughs> Look what you did to your father. Um, and, and she said, she, he, he's like, don't you know that I, I have to be about my father's business? And he wasn't talking about that guy. He was talking about his heavenly father. And, uh, and it, this, listen to me. And it said in Mary, they, they under, and listen, it says they understood not the things which he spoke. Okay, now, if anybody's going to understand it, it's going to be them two. Because both of them got a private personal visit from Gabriel, the archangel of God, about the birth of their son, the conception and the birth and who he would be and what he would do. And so that's one way that Jesus knew who he was because his parents told him the story of what happened and how he got here and what his purpose was and what his destiny was. But he still had to evolve into the point that he believed it. Okay? But he's like, Mom, Dad... I have to be about my father's business. And it said they did not understand what he, what he spoke. But this is what it says. But then it says, but Jesus made himself subject to them. The word translated subject in English is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso. Hupo means come under. Tasso means authority. 
Now, see, some folks can't submit to people. They can't submit to an employer. They can't submit in the marriage to one another. They can't submit to anybody. They're like, nobody's going to tell me that's why you have problems you have because you've not yet learned to submit. The Bible teaches us in Romans 11 to submit to all authorities, not to the point where you're breaking the law of God, but you, you, you obey the law, right? Boy, y'all need to quieten off. I can't hardly hear myself. He made himself subject to them and went down to Nazareth with them, listen to them, and listen to what the results of that was. It said Jesus grew in wisdom. How do you grow in wisdom if you already know everything? If he, let me ask you this. Does God know everything? I don't know if you know that. I said, does God know everything? I think I'd change my sermon if I don't get a strong yes on that one. Okay, so you believe God knows everything. He's omniscient. That means all-knowing. It's one of his attributes. So God knows everything. God's never been surprised. God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden, turn around to make a peanut butter and jelly and look back and go, oh, my, i got to come up with a plan B now. Something doesn't happen I didn't see coming. Right? God's never had a plan B in his life. God's only got one plan, that's his. God, nothing, God's never been surprised. God, God's like, I, God always saw it coming. And God made provision for you before it got here. Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, Jesus was already in the heart and mind of God, paid the price for the redemption of men. God's already prepared for every problem you ever will have. God's already prepared the solution for it before you got here. So what, don't let, let us not worry. God's got the provision. It may not come when and how we want it, but God has provided for us. He is a provider. It's his nature. He's a good father. Some of the sweet person the other day said, you know, you know how, how do I pray for God's protection? And I wrote back and I said, you don't have to. This is part of being a child of a good daddy. Did you have to pray for your mom and daddy to protect you? Or did they just do it because they loved you? Huh? And you telling me that God, that you better, you're a better person, you're a better parent than God, the Father? You telling me that you love your kids more than he loves his kids? No. I ain't buying that one. You ain't got to pray for the protection of God. Oh, God's asked you to protect me today. No, this is your prayer. God, thank you for protecting me today. Because the Bible said that the angels of the Lord encamp around about those that fear him. That means that those are, are his. It's just part of the package. So rest in that and thank him for it and remind yourself that you are protected. Amen? So, so, so they find Jesus, she rebukes him, but he said he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, that part there with favor, we do not pray for God's favor as far as us between God, but that favor that that's talking about is favor with men. You and I need favor not only uh, with, with, with God, we have it by birth. In other words, I had to carry my kid home from the nursery at the hospital because they were my kid. Right? They, my kid didn't pray for my favor laying in the little nursery 
they had my favor by birth. I cared for the kid. I provided for the kid. I loved the kid. You understand? You have favor with God. You don't have to pray. When you walk out of your house every day, you, you are favored, highly favored of the Lord. You have favor with God. How did you get it? By birth. By birth. But now the favor with men, now that's something else. And so we, we pray for that. I pray that God will grant me favor with people. Because some of the people I need favor with, they don't even know God. But I need God to help me with them and work. And, and I just leave all how, the how of that up to him. But I just say, God, just give me favor. I remember when I was the chief of the emergency medical service for 12 years. I was a paramedic for 20 years, but in, in Tiff County. And for those, and I was 26 years old when I got promoted to the chief uh, position. And, of course, then I'm answering to a county uh, manager, county administrator, and to seven county commissioners, which always was not necessarily fun. And, uh, and, 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 I, and I mean this because God spoke to me about that job and to, to, to apply for that job. And, and, and I'm serious, and that's, it's too long a story to get into. But the point is we had never had a chief since they had started the, the emergency medical service in Tiff County. No supervisor, no chief, no director, whatever they, their titles were at that time. Nobody had ever lasted more than 24 months. N nobody. We had never, they had never had a, a, a chief to, to stay on that job more than 24 months. And so it was just classic for the men to say, we've seen them come, we've seen them go. And it was a high-pressure job, a lot of, a lot of political pressure. It was just stress. It was a lot of pressure. And yet, and, and yet God spoke to me to apply for it. And I was 26 years old. And I knew, see, God cares about where you work and what's going on in your life. And now, I was busy trying to, I had my focus set on, I was going to go to work for, you know, somebody else. I really was focused, I was going to go to work for Georgia Power. I was tired of being a street medic where I was working 56 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, just if I did 24 on, 48 off. And then we were always being pulled in. And I was just tired of being gone so much because now I had little kids at the house and I wanted to be home more than I was. And I loved my job, but I, it was just the hours were so long. And I, I started praying as a Christian, God, give me a job, give me a job, give me another job. You, you know, I'm your kid and you own the cattle of a thousand hills. And, and I'm favored, and give me a job. And I was like, well, okay, so I'm God's kid. Let me see where I want to work. Who pays good? I said, I'm going to work with Georgia Power. And so I went to Georgia Power, took an exam, took the test to see what it qualified me for, and then I applied in Tifton, Waycross, Albany, and Valdosta. And in those days, every 90 days, you had to drive yourself to that office, that regional office, walk into the office, and re-sign up your, uh, your, keep your application fresh. If you didn't, because there were so many people trying to get on with Georgia Power, they throw it in the trash can after 90 days. So they wanted people that were going to hang in there that was interested. And so every 90 days, I drove to Valdosta, Tifton, to Waycross was, was another, and Albany. And so all these regional places. And I had great enthusiasm that God's going to give me a job at Georgia Power. Glory to God. It didn't happen. Months turned into a year. And a year went by. And then I got tired, and I got to us, well, I'm just going to drop off Waycross. I ain't driving over there. I'm tired of driving over there. And I didn't drive to Albany no more. Now I just got off the tiff and got off the tiff. And then I started like it ain't going to happen. And I was a young Christian. Be patient with me. And I'm working at the service. And then I'm like, this just ain't working. 
And yeah, you know, and, and then I just I couldn't I couldn't figure out why God ain't answering my prayer. I thought it was a valid prayer, good prayer. I need a good job. I don't want to work here no more. I want to be home with my family. I want to be off every Sunday where I can go to church. I want to be, you know, come on, help a brother out, God. Wasn't working. In in May of 1984, another one of our chiefs resigned. So from May of 84, the remainder of the year, we did not have a chief. So each shift captain was a was the supervisor, you know, and, and, and that's just how they handled it. And they applied, and the county, the Tiff County sent out, uh, you know, jobs, and, and we saw uh, chiefs from other t towns come in and get a tour of our station, and, and but they didn't hire any of them. And we couldn't figure out why. May, June, July, August, September, October, November. Now, November, me, 26 years old, is walking in the station in the headquarters. And, you know, you can walk and still talk to God. You understand that, right? And, and so I called myself talking to him, but it was really what I would call fussing at him. I know you've never done it. I don't advise it, but I was doing it. And this is what I said to him. I said, God, I don't understand you. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing statement? How many of you said it, though? I said, God, I don't understand you. I've been praying for you for over almost two years now for another job and, and praying and done everything I know how to do, and, and you still ain't giving me no job. You ain't answering my prayer. I don't, I don't understand it. And see, I just I was walking. I could, I could take you to the station and show you where I was standing, and I, I was just like fussing it, God. I just wanted to say that to him. I just kind of said it in my heart. I didn't really say it out loud where people think you're nuts walking around talking. I just said, you, you don't answer my prayer. I don't understand that. And I was getting a little ticked off at him. I know you've never been mad with him, but I've had a problem with him a couple of times. And I, and I just said, I don't understand you. I, not expecting to hear anything, and you may not understand this, but I heard him. He talked back. Whoa. He normally don't talk back. This is what I heard him say. There's a job right under your nose you haven't even applied for. That I've given you. It never hit my little pea brain that I could be the chief of the ambulance service and have an eight to five job. What I was trying to get right there under my nose. Because I had already disqualified myself. I said, I don't have any supervisory experience. I'm too young. And that, they ain't going to give me that job. And I don't want it no how because ain't nobody lasting more than 24 months. It's too high stress. God said, there's a job right there I've given you. And when I heard God say that, I knew I had the job. I remember I came home. I told my wife, I said, well, uh, God's going to give me that job. And I remember one, <laughs> and I've told you a story before, we was, we, we was, I was laying in bed, and I was having an anxiety attack. I don't know if you ever had those. They're not fun. So I'm having palpitations, chest pain. I'm breaking out in sweat. I'm nauseated. And I was laying there. <laughs> And she's like, my wife's like, what? She didn't need to be a nurse, y'all, I'm telling you. She, not a lot of compassion on that side. And, and she said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm just scared about this. I know God's going to give me that job, and I don't have a clue about nothing. She said, this job's going to kill you before you even get it. <laughs> you know it's true, girl. She said, it's going to kill you before you get it. And I got to thinking, it is going to kill me, and I hadn't even got the job. 
I remember I talked to one of those shift supervisors and I said, would you get me an appointment with Mr. Charles Kent, chairman of the county commissioners, I want to apply for the chief's job. He looked at me like I was a nut. And I remember this guy said, he actually did this. He went, in disgust. He said, I'll get you an appointment. Like, it's going to be a waste of time. I went over there and interviewed with the chairman of the Tiff County Commissioners, an elected official who at that time was the county manager. And uh, he didn't promise nothing. That was in November. 1st of December, he called me back over for a second interview. He said, you got the job. He said, you start January the 1st. And uh, he said, but you're so young and so inexperienced in this. But he said, there's just something about you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance. He said, you're going to be supervising a lot of me and a lot older than you. And he said, so I'm going to evaluate you. And after 90 days, if I don't think you're doing a great job, I'm gonna, you can go back to, a, to the street medic, to be a you know, paramedic on the street. Or, or if you're just doing the job and you hate it and don't like it, and you can put yourself back on the street and that, no hard feelings. I said, that's a good deal. I'll take it. And I was making like $26,000 as a, as a uh, street medic with all the overtime and all in those days, which was, was pretty decent money. And, and I had never asked a question what I was going to get paid to this job that God told me to take. And, I, and he said, now, you probably, you know, about your salary. He said, now, you won't ever have any overtime because you're going to be a salaried employee now. So, it don't, you know, that's just it. You, this is your salary. He said, your salary is $19,800 a year. Gross. Now, see, some of y'all would have said God didn't speak to you about that job when you got that. <laughs> but when God's talking, you've got to trust him. And so I took the job, even knowing, and, and, and then the reality of it is I don't know how in the world that I'm going to make it because I need that other $7,000 to pay my bills. My wife's home, and he's, I'm, I'm going to need that money. But I just had to trust God that he'll work it out. And it's not ignorance. It's, it's, it, is, it was faith. Now, I didn't necessarily like how God worked it out because God put me in the pot business. Stainless steel pots, y'all. <laughs> Cookware. We got invited. I was praying, like, how are we going to make it, this and that? And I got invited to a cookware dinner. Towncraft. T304 surgical stainless steel five-ply, y'all. <laughs> Ain't it pretty? <laughs> and then you don't know me, but in those days I was so terrified of talking in front of people and scared to be in front of people and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and at the encouragement of my wife, I, uh, this guy reached out to me and said, won't you start, start doing these dinners? You can make good money, and you just do it one or two nights a week, and, and your wife only has to come one night and, and cook, and you know, and then you go back the next night and see the people. I don't know, man. I, I just ain't no sales guy. That's what I told him. Long story short, I started working with him. All kind of favor. God just started blessing us. Now, I would say this. We had this little thing called a whopper chopper that you chop up stuff. And that's what you kind of use to get the woman's, you know, that's in the dinner. Because we didn't sell them. We'll give them to you if you let us come to your house and do a dinner. Invite four couples and your friends. And we put on a little show, feed everybody free. And it was a pretty good deal. And so I remember we went and we had a lady that started out and let me go to a dinner. And I'm in there doing the coleslaw in front of all the people, showing them how it works. Like I'm cutting my finger. This is honest God truth. I'm just chewing my hands up because I can't work the thing. I had to stop because I was bleeding so bad. I had to ask the hostess, did she have some Band-Aids? 
And I was glad that I was putting radish in the coleslaw, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I went in there, and Jill was in the kitchen, and I walked in one time, and I, was ble- I said, my God, I'm about to bleed to death out there. <laughs> and I said, get her to give me some Band-Aids. And I Band-Aided myself back up, and then you go, you got to go through the door, and you got to smile at these people and be happy. They ain't buying nothing. And I had to go and just live through that. On that first dinner, nobody bought a set of nothing. I had one person bought one pot, but that's all I needed to know. God's going to help us here. Just a long story real short. Went on. We did that. It provided that money that, that I didn't make. And so I was 8 to 5. I could go do the dinners. I mean, we did. God blessed us so much. We won a trip the first year on the U.S. Emerald something's uh, cruise boat. On the cru- I didn't even want to win the thing because I get motion sick. When me and my wife got married, one, one thing was in her heart was always, she, when we got married, I mean, we're talking about getting married, the, the show back then, you, you know, it dates us, but the, the love boat. Anybody remember the love boat? Well, it, she watched all that, and, and it was just like, you know, we want to get married and go on the love boat. Well, I couldn't even go on a John boat. I couldn't even afford a John boat, much less a love boat. You know what I'm saying? So we just couldn't do it. We didn't have no money to do that. And, and, and so here comes back later a dream of her heart. That's what they're offering, and we won the trip free. We, we get to go on, and, and I remember that night. We walked on the, on the USS Emerald Seas out of Miami, Biscayne Bay, and we went to the little dinner thing at night, and that guy walked out on stage, you know, dressed, and he looked like James Bond, and he walked out and started singing Love Boat theme. And I looked over at my wife, and she was just like, she was living her dream. And I had my, you know, Dramamine patches behind my ear, and I was taking them pills, and I was like high most of the trip anyway. So I don't remember a whole lot about it, you know what I'm saying. And I was just like, man, God loves you, girl. He, he, you know, he, he, that dream was in your heart. Sometimes those dreams in your heart, you don't get to live them right when you want to. But let me tell you, your father's a good daddy. He takes record of that stuff. Some of you, the enemy, try to convince you you'll never have a house. You'll never own this. You'll never do. Don't, don't listen to him as a lies. And so God put us in, in, in that position. We, we stayed there, and, 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 then, and, and then the next year did even better. God's got a plan for your life. I was, and just to say, not because I'm great, but for 12 years I was the EMS chief. I could probably still be there today. But God's, it came a time where I said, God said, give that up, you know, for, for, for him, for the ministry. And I did. And I retired December 31st, 1997. After 12 years of being the chief. And I love my job and I love the people. And God enabled me to have great favor and do a lot of things. And it, and it didn't, it wasn't a, something that stressed me out. And I was able to implement things that caused the job not to be like what had caused all those men to quit before me. And I still today hold the longest tenure of any chief that's ever been in Tiff County. Hallelujah. You know, maybe somebody will beat me one day, but they hadn't yet. And because God's got a plan for your life, and he cares about. And Crawford was saying something to me the other day, and then maybe this kind of fits right here. But, you know, a lot of us grew up in church like we got sacred things and we got secular things. And, 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 and a lot of us grew up like I'm a minister and I'm in the ministry and you guys are not. That's not true. That's not what we believe at Grace Point. The Bible teaches that we are all been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are all full-time ministers for God. And once you're born again, there is nothing in your life that is no longer 
you're not secular. So you don't, don't look at your job. I have a secular job. You don't have a secular job if you're a Christian. You have an assignment from God. You, you're an ambassador for Christ. You're, you don't have a secular. Secular means worldly, of the world. And, and so, so God don't see ministry, you know, with pulpit and pew. and, and God, it's, it, That's not God at all. God sees ministry 24-7 everywhere you go. You represent God. You're an ambassador for Christ. And, and you have to see your, your vocation like that. Don't see it like a prison sentence. I mean, some of you think, you know, that like you got to go to work because Adam and Eve, you know, sinned. No, the, Adam was working before sin came. He was tending to the garden, it says. He was keeping it. And by the way, garden don't mean like your grandma's garden in the backyard. That garden measurements, it's in Genesis, was 1,500 miles square. That's the size of that garden. And Adam had charge of all of that. And it had those uh, three, four rivers that flowed out of the middle of just an, an amazing uh, uh, thing. Uh, you know, and, and, and when Adam and Eve sinned and God drove them out of that place, it wasn't because God was being punitive and angry. It was to keep, the Bible says it was to keep the way back to the garden. To keep the way back. A lot of us grew up in church that God got mad, kicked them out because he was mad. All that's lies. And it starts us off with a wrong view of who the Father is and, and what kind of heart he has. God, God, God doesn't do things punitive. God, God, that's not who God is. And, and so, so, so God has purpose. God has a plan for your life in every area, and I want you to see it like that. You, you got to recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. And, and so when Jesus got baptized and God said, this is my son, okay, here comes Satan to tempt him in the wilderness. What's the first thing Satan says to him? If you are the son of God. Now God said, this is my what kind of son? Say it out loud. Because now that's real important. It's beloved. Be loved. One word, beloved. You got to know that you be loved. I'm serious. I'm trying to get you to remember stuff by play on words. But see, some people don't know they be loved. They think God's love comes and goes. See, you are beloved. You are the beloved. That means you are always in the constant state of being loved by God. Always. God never has drawn his love from you. God loves you. God can't help himself. God is love. So this is what God said. This is my beloved son. Now, when Satan comes to tempt him, he leaves that word out. Wonder why he did that. Because this are, these are the people that are susceptible to the temptations of the enemy. Those people who do not believe or know that they're loved by God. If you do not believe and know that you're loved by God 24-7 regardless of your, your performance, then you are a target for the enemy. And you're going to be depressed. You're going to have anxiety and fears and all kind of things because you don't know. Back during that day when I was sitting, I, I didn't know that God loved me like, like that, like I'm trying to teach you guys now. I wished I knew in 1985 how much God loved me, but I didn't. I thought God got mad at me. I thought God didn't hear my prayers. I thought I had to, I mean, I, I just lived a miserable Christian life because of all the teaching that I'd gotten that was wrong. Nobody ever taught me about grace. Nobody ever taught me that I was a new creation. You're a new creation. You're not reupholstered. You're not reconditioned. You're not the old you with a paint job. You're not the old you with a cross painted on your forehead. You are a total new creature, creation that has never existed before. You are, you are not what you used to be. 
But when it says that you are new, anybody being Christ, they're a new creation, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. You, you didn't get a new body. I hate to shock you with that, but whatever size you was when you knelt at the altar and accepted Jesus, you, you didn't stand up and your pants fall down. It'd be nice if you could just drop all the weight because I got saved and now I'm, I'm at the perfect, you know. <laughs> no, you, you, whatever size you was is what size you is. You didn't get a new body. That's my point. And your mind didn't get totally renewed in that instant. In other words, you can still remember bad thoughts. You, your, your, mind, your mind needs to be worked on. That's why Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable unto God. Your body is holy and acceptable unto God. Why? Because you're his temple now, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul told him in Ephesians 4.24, listen to this amazing verse. He said, he said, put on the new man. Why would he say it like that, put on the new man? I thought the new man came. It, it did. Paul's saying you got to remember that you are a new man. Put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit, he said, of your mind. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he says, I want you to see the verse, Ephesians 4.24, that you put on the new man which was created, uh, uh, created how? According to God, in true righteousness and holiness. It's not something that's progressive and happens along and along. You, you were instantly made a new person in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? When did it happen when you got born again? But So you didn't get a new body. You didn't get a new mind that instantly changed. But what you there was one part of you that was revolutionized instantly, and that's your spirit man. And your spirit was born again, and then that holy when, when you when that spirit was born again, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now I use this example sometimes. Just think of it like vacuum sealing meat. Think of it like buying the most beautiful steak in the world, and then you vacuum seal it. You understand what I mean? You vacuum seal it in plastic. It's sealed now, and then you can throw it in the in the freezer and, and not worry about the meat burning from the cold and all that. But you, it's sealed, vacuum sealed. Can't nothing touch it, right? It, why? Because it's sealed. Now, if you take that meat and you lay it out on the picnic table and a fly is flying over and he sees a piece of steak, he's going to want to put down the landing gear and come in. Do you understand? He, he, he wants to come. And so, listen, you, he might land on the steak, but he ain't really on the steak. Y'all need to hear me now. I preached on Tylenol last Sunday. I'm, trying to, I'm going steak this Sunday. You've been sealed. Now, see, if somebody just walks by and don't pay attention because vacuum sealing is pretty good, I mean, it's, it's tight. All they see is a fly on the meat, and they go, look at that fly. I can't believe they're going to eat that. That's just horrible. That's nasty. That fly ain't touching nothing. See, sometimes other Christians come by you, and your spirit is sealed. And all they see is the sin. But they know that sin ain't who you are no more because you've got a new identity because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus and that sin can't touch you. See, and if you don't understand that, that's why if you read 1 John, that's gonna, that, them verses are going to hurt your head. Because 1 John says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, neither can they sin. For the seed sperm of God remains in him. It is impossible for them to sin. You ever read them verses? I said, have you ever read them? That's what it says. Now, here's what your average preacher tries to explain that. Because, you know, we're supposed to have answered everything. Well, what that means, Brother Young, is that we won't habitually continue in sin. Really? 
first off, you need to know what sin is. First off, gluttony is a sin. So put your fork down, brother, before you talk to me. That's a sin. That's just as much a sin as cocaine. Okay? So you don't, nobody preaches on gluttony, but it's in there. Okay, it's in there. And, and, and non-believing God is a sin. It is, that's, that is called, the Bible says in Revelation that the unbelieving and the cowardly is a sin. The, the, that's a sin. No, nobody preaches on that. So first off, knock off the habitual sin because we all habitually sin. I'm not saying we got it wrote down in the daytimer, but we do it. Why? So the only way that verse makes any sense is that we cannot sin. It's impossible for them to sin. What's he talking about with your spirit? Because it goes on to say that that sin that's committed is, is, is outside of the spirit. It's in the flesh. The flesh does it. We're not endorsing sin. We're not saying sin's no big deal. Go ahead and get born again and then sin. All. We're not saying that at all. But that's what grace preachers get accused of. We're not saying that. I seen the other day where a guy had wrote something, you know, about just the grace of God, and a person come under there under the comments and said, "You are a false teacher. You are damning people to hell." And just, I mean, just tore into the brother. That's why I don't post like I used to. I just got tired of that, man. I need to just do it anyway, I guess. But man, these people are vicious, you know. And, and, and let me tell you, that wasn't the sinner writing in. That wasn't the sinner, you know, talking on Facebook to this brother. That was a Christian. No, that was a religious demon speaking through a Christian trying to squelch this message of God's grace. Paul said, you just got to remember now you're a new person. Now, sometimes that's hard for people. Let, let me read some verses, and then I'm, I'm going to wind this up. i got to do it quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. A lot of preachers will use this try to, you know, rough you up pretty good it's in the Bible I'm going to read it 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 he said do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor rivalers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God and they just kind of leave, and that's normally where they stop quoting. And they, in other words, they put out this blanket thing and said, you know, if you do these things here, you, you, you're going to hell. It says right here that you won't inherit the kingdom of God, you ain't going to heaven, and you're going to hell. And normally they'll pick out one or two out there that's their pet peeve, and then they just, you know, hammer down hard on that. But they need to read the next verse. Now, Paul says, don't you know that these people here will not inherit the kingdom of God? All right? And he names the people. Deceivers, fornicators. Notice that these are identity names. These are not sin functions. What the, this is identity. Idolaters. Sodomites. Uh, you understand? All right, look in verse 11. And such were, everybody say were, past tense, some of you. But you were what? Washed, but you were sanctified. That means made holy, made righteous is what it means. But you were justified. The word justified means made righteous. So sanctified, made holy, justified means made righteous. The exact same word. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when they talk about no liars will enter into heaven, no fornicators, none, it, you may, it makes you think that God hates those people, but he doesn't. He loves them. He spent time with them when he walked the earth. What he's saying is it's emphasizing what I'm trying to preach to you today, the new creation. Because you're not that anymore. That's not who you are. 
Because notice what it says, and such were some of you. He didn't say, and such of these sins some of you did. It's not talking about did. It's talking about identity person. You, you were that, but you're not that anymore. Why? Because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of Jesus. And that was done by the Spirit of God. You're a new person. You're a new creation. That's why no liars are going to heaven because nobody, all you got in heaven is former liars. There's no fornicators in heaven. They're just former fornicators. You understand? I mean, because that's not who they are anymore. And, and, and some people right there, that just, that just burns them up that I would even say that. I'm not telling you to go out and get drunk and be, I'm not telling you to do that. But, I, you know, so here you go. If that's more, you know, if that's just too much for you to, 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 to swallow, let's take a little detour in the Bible down the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. I won't read all the verses, but you'll find a list of Old Testament men and women who were all commended by God for their faith in God. Who are these heroes of renown? Well, we got Noah. And as soon as Noah got that boat part, after being on it over a year with his family, first thing he did was throw the drunk. I get it. You were locked up on a boat for over a year with your family and a bunch of smelly animals. You'd be looking for the bar when you get out the boat. I know that's too real for some of you, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It says he planted a vineyard and got drunk. Does it say that? Okay. He's listed in the, God don't mention his drunkenness in Hebrews 11, but that's what he did in Genesis. Abraham, who was a liar. Lied twice about this ain't my wife. He's mentioned in it. Jacob, uh, whose whole life was a deceitful lie. We've got a murderer listed in there, commended. Moses murdered an Egyptian. We've got a prostitute named Rahab. We, and, and, and we got King David. He, he probably worst of all. He got a married woman pregnant and then had her husband killed to cover it all up. See, this kind of preaching really aggravates religious people. And every one of them people you're going to meet in heaven because Moses is not going to be a murderer in heaven. He's a former murderer. Rahab's not going to be a prostitute in heaven. She was a former prostitute. David's not going to be a guy that was an adulterer and was a person that had somebody murdered. He's going to be a former of that because he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. And so I just want to end this thing today. And they did it in the song. Like it was the second song, and they started talking about I am what, what God says I am. I am what God. So what, does, what is the I am's that God says I am? It, it, I am born again of incorruptible seed. That means seed, again, means spermazoa, sperm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm born by God. I can't help but be like God because he's my daddy. I am a new creation. I am complete in Christ, and I am been perfected forever. By the blood of Jesus. I am a child of God. I am the apple of the Father's eye. I am one spirit with the Lord, and I am now the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am eternally redeemed, and I am completely and forever forgiven. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am summoned by name, and I am his, and he is mine. I am dead to sin. 
and I am alive to God. I am free from all guilt and condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God. I am holy and I am blameless. I am healed by his stripes and I am strong in the Lord. I am hidden in Christ and I am eternally secure. I am loved with an everlasting love and I am highly favored by God. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and I am a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I am a minister of the gospel of reconciliation. I am qualified. I am chosen and I am anointed. I am a royal ambassador. I am a missionary to this world. I am a stranger on earth but I am a citizen of heaven and whose maker is God Almighty. I am forgetting all those things that are behind me while I am forever pressing forward to the high call and the mark of God and to know him more. I am trusting and knowing that he will finish that that he has started in me. I am both a king and I am a priest and I am a carrier of the Lord's authority. I am a healer of the sick and I am a demon's worst nightmare. I am bold as a lion. I am more than a conqueror. I I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am the sweet aroma of Jesus to those who are perishing. I am a tree planted by the living waters, and I am a fruitful branch that will not cast forth this fruit before his time. I am the disciple that Jesus loves, and what I am, I am by the grace of God. Can somebody stand on your feet and give God praise? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory! Remain standing. So the next time that devil says to you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You tell him, I know who I am. I am what he says I am. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not where I'm going to be. But I am who he says I am. Now, buddy, you can't go through that list without wanting to chest bump somebody. Like, show me a devil now. <laughs> Amen. And that's not something just to get you emotionally fired up. That's something to get you spiritually fired up to let you know that that's who God says you are. You may not always look like that. We may not always exemplify all of that, but that don't make no difference because we didn't get in this thing, baby, by performance. We got in this by grace. And I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, give him one more praise. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. We love you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, it's 12.03. And I'm going to let you go, but I love you. God bless you. You are God's chosen, precious people. You walk out of here, your head up high, and just say, I am who he says I am. They asked Jesus one time, they said, they come to arrest him in the garden. They said, they, they said are, are, are you the Christ, the Son of God? He said, I, I am. 
And when he said, I am, the Bible said all the soldiers fell backwards to the ground. Jesus having to stand there and wait for them to get up so they can arrest him. That's how much power when a Christian confesses, I am. When Moses got commissioned to go to Egypt to tell that powerful Pharaoh, strongest leader in the world at that time, to let God's people go, Moses said, Father, I'm just a shepherd. I'm an 80-year-old man. I stutter when I talk. I'm not a good public speaker. Don't look like much, but I here in this desert for 40 years in the wilderness just caring for a few goats and sheep. And when he going to ask me by whose authority and who, 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 who sent you, what do I tell him? God said, when you stand before Pharaoh and he asks you that, you just tell him, I am the I am sent me. <laughs> God said, that's all you got to say, boy. Just say, I am the I am sent me. God knew Pharaoh wasn't going to understand it, but after 10 plagues, he got a picture of who I am, who he says I am is. Amen. And you leave this place today knowing I'm not that voice that speaks down to me. God will never speak down to you on, no wor on your worst day. God will never say to you, here you go again. God will never say I'm ashamed of you. God will never say I'm disappointed in you. God will never, all God will say to you is this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. What pleases God? My performance? No, the fact that you're his kid. That's what pleases God. And you say, well, he said that over Jesus. He says that over all his kids. This is my beloved son. You're always beloved of God. Satan will always try to make you and take that beloved part out if you are the son of God. You know, you, what you mean if I am? You heard him. You was at the baptism service. You heard my papa tell me audibly where you and all the demons could hear that this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. You heard him, devil. You're trying to make me doubt what God said. Don't ever doubt what God says. Don't doubt in the darkness what God told you in the light. Don't doubt what God said about you. Don't ever doubt that you're a son of God that's loved by God. You might go through tough times. You may be going through struggles right now. You may going through, be going through lack and things are not going. You may be going through disease and sickness and you may be going through some things. And don't let the devil come in that moment and say you're not loved. Where's God at? God's where he's always been. He's on the inside of you. God's always with you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always there. I'll go with you. He'll go with you to the ICU if you have to go there. He'll go with you to the jailhouse if you have to go there. He'll go with you to the hospital. He'll go with you to the courthouse. He'll go with you wherever you got to go. God won't leave you. Your family might not can go. Your, your, your kinfolk may not be able to walk through them doors, but God will go with you. When they, when they carry you in the operating room, they always told, they said, you got to wait right here. That's as far as you can go. But God just goes right on in there with you. They ain't a door to keep God out. They might say, you can't come in here. You can't tell God he can't come in there. God was there for you, got there. God comes in there with you and in you and for you. Amen. Glory to God. Man, the preacher's here today, Ivory. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I knew it was going to be on. I saw Brother James moving out this morning. Hallelujah. I knew it was going to be on. Amen. Well, I better quit.
I'm about to catch my second win. <laughs> do like we used to do in the Pentecostal church, and we'll just go again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. We love you. We're always available up front here to pray with you about anything. All you got to do is come up here, and I'll be here. My elders will join us. We love you. We always want to pray for you. We're always available to do that. I'm going to dismiss the church. If you want prayer, please come this way. If not, you're dismissed. Go enjoy this beautiful day. God bless you. We love you. Hallelujah. Yeah.